Come on. Hey, guys. Welcome to uh, River Ridge Church. My name is Dylan Frex. I am the pastor, uh, not pastor, sorry. I am the director of student ministries here at River Ridge, which basically means what I do on a daily basis is work exclusively with middle school and high school kids. Uh, I want to start off this morning by asking you guys, by a show of hands, who has had a good, like, blessed week? Anybody out there? Couple people. There's a, a couple reasons that I had a blessed week. One is that last night the Mountaineers got their first win of the season, right? Yes. Yes, all you guys that are Marshall fans are like, poo. Um, and then another one, because we have a lot of millennials in our church, uh, and this is a big one, and so I want you guys to go absolutely crazy here in a second. Uh, this past week was the return of the pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks, right? No. That joke gets a lot, uh, better, uh, a lot better audience reaction from the students that I work with. But uh, like I said, guys, my name is Dylan, and I work with the students here at River Ridge. Um, that means I do a lot of things. I do Instagram. I uh, help with social media here at the church. Um, but one thing that I like to tell the kids that I do is that I play video games. I go to a lot of high school sporting events, and I eat a ton of cheeseburgers. And when I say stuff like that, the kids are like, oh, that's lit, fam. And all you adults, I just lost you. I'm sorry. Uh, are like, what did you just say? Like, what was any of that? Uh, that's lit fam. Translated for other generations could be something like this. Uh, if you were a teen in the 1960s, you might say, oh, that's groovy. Um, if you were a teen in the 70s, you may say, oh, I can dig that. Uh, a teen in the 80s might say, gnarly, dude. And then a teen in the 90s may say something simple and awesome, and it would just be like, word. Uh, so we have this like different ways that we communicate with each other. And I think that one of the things that intimidates a lot of people about working with students in student ministry is that there is this major language barrier. But that language barrier is something that we have to deal with all throughout life. Whether it's a language barrier between a guy and a girl, or between an adult and a teenager, or between a uh, husband and a wife, or all these different things, there's always a language barrier. And for some of you guys that know me well, you know that I don't really uh, succeed at one area of ministry, and that is working with little kids. And I think the reason for that is, one, because they're small and I tend to like run them over uh, when I'm playing nine square, but the other reason is because they have a totally different way of talking. And I really can't seem to conquer that language barrier. So for kids, they have a pretty interesting way that they communicate. Typically at birth, kids will start off uh, not being able to talk, typically. Um, and then as time progresses, they start to learn other noises, which are like pleasant and amazing, like the cry. Um, the cry is much worse than the silent baby. The crying baby is much, much worse. And then they start to learn other noises, and they start to talk kind of like an alien. So if I have any Stranger Things uh, fans out in the audience, they start to sound like a demogorgon. They start like... <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, apparently, they don't make goo-goo-gaga noises. Apparently, that's not a thing. Um, but then, eventually, a little bit later, thankfully, we reach that time period when the kid says their first word, right? And I know, like, my wife is probably hoping that when we have kids, our baby says something cute and adorable and heartwarming as their first word, something like dada or mama or coffee or something like amazing like that. Uh, but that first word can be a blessing and it can be a curse. It can be amazing or it can be not so amazing. So everybody go ahead and direct your attention to the screen for this awesome baby saying their first word. That's awesome. You're so smart. Okay, let's say mom. 
Say, Mama. Let go, be the first Say, Mama, you want to? Say, Mama. Mama? Mama? Did you say milk? Say milk. Say milk. Milk. Say milk? Say Nana? I know what his first word to be. Taco. 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 He said yes! taco. He did it. Yes. Everybody give it up for this little fellow. Literally, literally. This kid is born a couple years ago. His mom and dad want him to say, Mama, Dada. He says, taco. That is my type of kid. If my kid comes out of the womb and says that, then we have the best kid of all time. That is so awesome. Um, so guys, I think that's amazing, right? I don't know about you guys, but a kid saying taco, like he can go to Taco Bell right now and order. Like he just walks up or like waddles up, whatever babies do, to the counter and they like look down at him and he goes, taco. And it, like the whole, the whole place would go crazy. And so as a kid, I imagine that I spoke eloquently and perfectly the second that I came out of the womb. Uh, I was not crying. I was not goo-goo or gagaing. I was having full-fledged conversations with adults at a very high level the second that I came out of the womb. Um, okay, so maybe that's not true. Uh, but I did, like, I talked pretty well. But there was one thing that my parents say that I just couldn't figure out. And that was how to say Dunbar bridge, right? Like it's a pretty easy thing to say, Dunbar bridge. And I just couldn't seem to get it out. And uh, whenever I say that as an adult, it seems pretty uncomplicated. But as a toddler, I can imagine that was a pretty hard thing to say. And so my parents tell me that every time that we were down in Charleston, I would tell them that I wanted to go see the Dunbar bridge. But instead, I would say, I want to go to the Bundar bridge, um, which when an adult says it, it doesn't sound that bad. But if you can imagine a toddler saying over and over, I want to go see the bidge. I want to see the bidge. Uh, eventually, it comes out sounding like an expletive from the mouth of an adorable toddler. And so I share that because thankfully, as time progressed, my speech patterns have improved. I have gotten much better at talking. Um, and now I'm to a point where I get to talk like two to three times a week to students, right, and tell them the awesome news about Jesus. And so thankfully, as time progressed, I learned how to talk. And so learning how to communicate with other people is something that we all have to go through. Like as we're born, we start learning. Now we say words like mama, dada, bottle, taco, right? And we start picking up on some things, and then eventually we can have a full-fledged conversation. And the thing is, for a lot of us, this progression of talking uh, as a kid and then starting to talk better and better as we grow up is natural. But for the Christian that wants to connect with God, sometimes it's really hard for us to learn how to communicate with him. You see, the thing is, we get really upset by these questions, things like, is God even going to listen? Or how do I pray? Or what do I say? Like different things like that. And we ultimately think there is no possible way we could communicate with God. And so today, I want to start off by recapping a little bit of what Matt said, and then we're going to talk just about the basics of establishing a rhythm of prayer. So last week, Matt told us uh, that uh, we've started this series called Reconnect. So essentially, this series is for anyone who wants to reconnect, connect for the first time, or maybe stay connected to God. 
And we're going to give you over the next couple weeks a couple things that we think will help you do that, whether it's prayer or reading your Bible or hanging out with other people. Uh, We're going to mention all of those things. But last week, Matt told us that we want to be connected to God the more and more we learn about his character, right? And so you may have seen these last week, but if you didn't, make sure to grab one on your way out. These are some awesome little pamphlets that we made up for you guys. Uh, We worked a long time on them, so please use them. Uh, But basically, they say 40 truths about God that everyone should read. And on the back, it has 40 like really easy uh, verses that you guys can read. And I think if you take the time to read through all 40 of these, you will be left saying, there is no way that I could not connect with a God like that. And so this morning, we're going to talk about prayer. Because in the Christian faith, we believe that one of the primary ways that we connect with God is through prayer. In the same way that my wife and I connect by talking back and forth, that's how we connect with God. And so if you feel a little lost on prayer or how you should pray, you're in really good company. It seems like every time I read a book on prayer, the author or the pastor that is writing that book starts off by saying something along the lines of, this is the part of my faith that I can't seem to get right. Because prayer is difficult, right? The idea of sitting in a room by ourselves or whatever and talking to God that is somewhere up there, we think, that's weird, right? Like it is a difficult thing to do. And the good thing is we're in very good company. And so today we're going to start our time in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it says this, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And so when I initially read this passage, there were two things that just came off the page at me. And I was like, we need to know these things. And the first one is your main point if you're taking notes on the back of your bulletin today. And so the first one is this, that to connect with God, we need a rhythm of prayer. Or prayer requires a rhythm, rather. Sorry. Um, So essentially, what we see in the first part of this verse is it's evident that we need a rhythm of prayer. You know, time and time again, I'm reminded uh, when I read the Bible, one of the coolest things about Jesus is that he models perfectly what it looks like to connect with God the Father. You know, whether you've been reading the Bible for a little time or a long time, you will know that time and time again, it talks about Jesus praying over and over and over again. He intentionally makes this time for prayer. So another point we can draw from this verse that I want to throw out to you guys so we're all on an equal playing field is that even the disciples, like most of us, had to be taught how to pray. And so my second point is that we all have questions, right? We all have questions. Whether you have been a Christian for one day or a Christian for one year or a hundred years, you probably feel like your prayer life could be better. And so the disciples look at Jesus after seeing how he prayed. And they said, teach us to pray like that. And so this morning, we're going to talk about just a couple easy steps that will lead us into a better rhythm of prayer. And the first one is this, that we need to, like any good conversation, we need to talk to God, right? That's your first point. We need to talk to God. Oftentimes, I have students ask me questions like, what makes Christianity any different or any more worth following than any other religion? And that's kind of difficult sometimes. Like our faith looks a lot like many of the other faiths in the world. But the biggest difference is this, that our God desires to connect with us on a one-on-one basis. That's so encouraging to me that God wants a relationship with me. He doesn't want me to follow a bunch of rules. He doesn't want me to feel obligated to pray or feel obligated to read my Bible. He just wants to connect 
with me. So remember how I said a second ago the disciples had questions too? Well, the coolest thing is that Jesus has answers, right? And we find that answer in Luke 11, but we also find it in Matthew chapter 6. And a lot of you guys will know this. It'll be uh, something you understand or remember. It's called the Lord's Prayer, right? And a lot of you guys, if you grew up in church, will remember this. Or if you were on a sports team, you've probably said this. But the Lord's Prayer is Jesus' template teaching us how to talk to God the Father. And he says this, our Father in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive the other their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. And so last service, I was teaching this, and I started to get a little stumbled up on it because I was reading it, and it was different than what I'd always learned. And the thing is, a lot of us, when we learn the Lord's Prayer, we learn it in a way like this. It looks something like this. You're in uh, Sunday school, you're sitting there, and the teacher says, okay, kiddos, now it's time to say the Lord's Prayer. And then everybody is like off to the races. And they're like, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name of the kingdom. Come, we'll be down on earth. And like, it just keeps going. And we're like just reciting this thing mindlessly. And the thing is, what Jesus was wanting to teach us about prayer is that is the complete opposite of what he wants from us. He doesn't want us to recite this prayer out of obligation. So what I would like to do for the next couple minutes is to break this prayer up into a couple sections. We're not going to talk about all of it, uh, but we are going to hit on a couple important ones. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, write this under the talk to God part. Uh, Jesus begins by saying, our Father. For me, that's really cool because he doesn't say, hey, my Father in heaven. He doesn't say the Father in heaven. He says, our Father, right? Me and Matt and Elizabeth and everybody else in here, the same father that Jesus prayed to is the same father that we also pray to. And he says, our father. And he's being really intentional here. What he's doing is he's making it clear that prayer is to connect us relationally, right? Like a father and a son or a father and a daughter to God. It's amazing because for people in Jesus' day, they saw prayer as simply something to recite. It was an obligation, but for Jesus, prayer was not an obligation. It was an opportunity, right? It wasn't something he had to do. It was something he had this privilege of doing. The next thing he says is hallowed or holy is your name. And a lot of you guys are like, I got the father part, but I don't understand the hallowed part. Uh, let me break it down for you pretty easy. It means that God is set apart or he is worthy, right? To be holy means worthy. And so I want to take a second just to go over this. God is worthy of our time, right? And this is me speaking to myself and including you in on the conversation, but God is worthy of my time. One of the most common things I hear as an excuse for why people don't have a quiet time is because they don't have time to spend with God. And the reason I hear that so often is because it's the thing that my flesh tells me every single day. When I wake up, and I know I should be having a quiet time. My flesh says, Dylan, you're too busy. You have a sermon to write. You have kids to hang out with. You have coffee to drink. Like all these different things start coming up. And suddenly I push my quiet time off and I make all these excuses. And the other day I was talking with a friend, uh, Sam Scott, who um, is cool because he gets to like lead me and he's one of my best friends. And we were talking about quiet times. And he said, Dylan, how is your quiet time? How is your prayer life? And I looked at him and I said, Sam, it's not that good. 
Like, honestly, I just don't feel like I have the time. And when I said that to Sam, I realized something. I felt like God really told me this. It's not that I have too little time. It's that I have too many excuses, right? It's not that we have too little time. We all have the same 24 hours in the day. And when Jesus was here on earth, he spent time out of those 24 hours praying to the Father. You see, taking our kids to sports is beneficial. Watching TV, that can be okay. Work is necessary. Spending time with our spouse is awesome. But they can all be used as excuses. Give God the time he is worthy of. He continues on and he says, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? All he's doing here is aligning himself to the will of the Father. So often you and I pray with our, our own motivations in mind, right? God, give me a new job. Take me out of this situation. Put me in this new place, right? We oftentimes pray specifically for those needs and those are okay and God wants those, but he also wants us at times to pray, God, whatever your will is for my life, put me in that place, right? And that may be hard. And that may not be the job I want or the position in life I want, but put me there. We're going to talk about that a little bit more here in just a second. Jesus goes on. We're going to skip the part about the bread, which is awesome. But basically, that's just uh, Jesus saying, hey, give me today what I need, right? Rosemary focaccia. Uh, No, sorry, that was a bread joke. My bad. Um, Give me what I need today, right? Give me the money I need today and sustain me with your presence. He goes on and says, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have parentheses, side note, uh, Dylan's commentary, who have hurt us, who have frustrated us, and who have upset us by sinning against us. You see, Jesus says, hey, forgive me. Remind me who I am. I am broken, right? Of course, I didn't apply to Jesus because he was the only perfect person ever. But in this moment, he's teaching you and I to pray and have God remind us who we are, that we are not perfect, that we are broken, but by his perfection, we can be made new. I think that's amazing. He says, remind us who we are. And then he also says, hey, help me to forgive all those people that have screwed me over this past week. And I think that's amazing because once again, we're placing ourselves within God's will. And Jesus finishes his prayer by pleading with God not to lead us into temptation. You know, it should be noted the Bible is clear. God will not tempt us with evil, right? The Bible says that. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion. Uh, But another truth that we can get from this is that prayer should not be our final resort, but rather our first response. You see, the thing is, when we look back at Jesus, it oftentimes says that he is praying in the morning. He is getting away from people. He is taking intentional time to pray. And you and I need to do that too. And we need to start our day like that So often we use prayer as our get-out-of-jail-free card. Uh, We use it as a fix-what's-broken thing, or we ask for forgiveness rather than for permission, that whole deal. Uh, But I want to really quick give you a hypothetical situation. So uh, in the past month, my wife Elizabeth and I have been buying a car. And my wife was really great. She said, hey, we have this amount of money to buy a new car, and you can spend within that amount of money. Of course, I went over it. My bad. Uh, But she did set the budget initially first. And so we talked about it. We said we want all-wheel or four-wheel drive, Bluetooth, and a backup camera, and we want it to be within this budget, right? But I want to spark in your imagination and ask you to think about what the conversation would have been like if instead of doing that, right, instead of having that budget and having an idea of what we were going to get, I instead uh, came home to Elizabeth, who I should note is an accountant who is studying for her CPA, um, and I said, Hey, honey, I bought a new car. It's a $80,000 Alfa Romeo, and aren't you happy for me? 
And she looks at me and she's like, are you crazy? And then I say, but we're only financing $75,000. That's in our budget, right? She would kill me, right? We do the same thing with God. We act on our own, we do our own thing, and then when things get messed up because we mess things up naturally, we go to God and we say, hey God, can you fix this? Like I know I should have came to you first, but I didn't, so now fix it, right? Prayer is our first response, not our final resort. You see, that conversation wouldn't work out. A lot of us are like, what do I say to God? I want you guys to take time throughout this week to look back at Matthew 26, or sorry, Matthew 6, and use this template that Jesus gives us for prayer. Because when we use this template, it's really not all that hard to find things to say. You know, if I have things to say to Elizabeth, my wife, who I do love and is great, then I really should have things to say to God who created me, who loved me, and who died for me. The next step to having a good prayer life is maybe a little more difficult. It's listening, right? In my family, there's a running joke that my mom brings up fairly frequently. It's called the 70-30 rule. Uh, essentially, what she means by that, or when she kind of goes 70-30, 70-30, it means that she's only listening to about 30% of what my dad has to say, which I think is actually a pretty common thing that happens in most relationships. So now you guys that are married or dating someone or in a relationship, you can use that whole 70-30 rule. The thing is, the 70% of the time that my mom isn't listening, it's probably because my dad isn't saying anything important. Um, he was here at last service. He got upset and he walked out, but that's okay. Uh, he knew it was coming. So in regards to our prayer life, though, most of us tend to talk to God way more than we listen. And I think the reason for this is that listening requires us to make space. It requires us to slow down from this busy, busy life that we have, and possibly most difficult, it requires us to stop talking. You see, for most of us, once we learn how to talk to God, we then have to learn how to listen to God. Have you guys ever met someone that literally just talks your ear off and doesn't stop? If you ask my wife, she would probably say, that is me. Um, but she'd probably be honest because I do talk a lot. Uh, those two people really annoy me, right? When you're trying to talk to someone and they just keep on blabbing on and on, uh, those two people really bother me. But I think with you and I, that's how our prayer life typically is. We're so quick to talk and we are so slow to listen. You know, sometimes we just need to take time and listen to what God has to say to us. In 1 Samuel 3, 7 through 11, we read this story about Samuel and God is calling out to him, which I imagine is pretty cool, right? Like God is literally calling out and saying, hey, Samuel. And Samuel kind of blows him off a couple times, which is weird. But then the third time, it says this. Samuel responds to the Lord, and he says, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. How would our life be different if every time we prayed, we paused to listen to God speak? You know, the thing is, that doesn't fit in our schedule because a lot of times we wake up and we're like, okay, I'll spend five minutes in prayer before I go to work, right? And we allot ourselves only that five minutes. There is no space for God to talk to us. And so a lot of you guys are like, I just don't have time for that. And a lot of you all, like me, are like, that would make me really uncomfortable. Like, sitting alone in silence with my thoughts is terrifying. Um, and so what I want to do is encourage you guys, if you're struggling to make that time to listen to God, turn on some worship music, right? We all have radio or iPhones or Androids or all these different things that can play worship music. Search for some worship music and listen to it. And when you're there in that silence listening to that music, ask God to speak to you. And I guarantee you that if you ask him to speak, he will do that. Then the final element of having a strong prayer life, and we're going to kind of finish up here, is responding to what God says or respond to God. 
to finish our time this morning, I want to go to Matthew 26 and look at a time in which Jesus prayed possibly the hardest prayer ever, right? In Matthew 26, basically to set the stage, what had just happened is they had just had the Last Supper, and Jesus had just looked at his disciples and said, you guys that say you love me are going to betray me, right? Peter, you're going to sell me out. And so ultimately, he takes some time before he goes to the cross to pray. And in Matthew 26, verse 36, it starts like this. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to him, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began, uh, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Has anybody in here any time recently felt sorrowful and troubled? I know that my soul is troubled a lot of the time. Whether it's justified or not, there's a lot of times that I feel troubled. Jesus can relate. Then he, said to, uh, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. I mean, have you guys ever had a time where your soul was overwhelmed with sorrow? Where you just lost a loved one? Where you just lost a job or life seems difficult? We've all had those moments. Jesus had it too. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. And he says, stay here and keep watch with me. And then going a little further, he fell on his face, uh, or fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed. And he said, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Can you imagine the difficulty of this prayer? Jesus had just looked all of his best friends in the eye, and they said, we will never sell you out. And he knew that every single one of them would run away. Jesus is about to go die the worst death ever imaginable. And he takes time for prayer. And he says, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Basically what he's saying there is, if there's any other way to save them, let's do it that way instead. And then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. So then in Matthew 26, verse 42, it goes on. And it says this, Jesus basically gets up, he goes back, and all the disciples, like much of, many of us would be, uh, are asleep, right? They didn't have time to keep watch. They didn't have time to pray with Jesus. So they fell asleep. Um, I've done that. It says this in Matthew 26, 42, Jesus says, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So basically what happens here is Jesus comes back a second time and repeats his prayer word for word almost. He says, if there is any other way, please let's do it that way, right? I love them so much. I want them to live eternally with me. I want them to have life to the full. But if there's any other way, let us do it that way. And then he goes back and his disciples are asleep again. He is literally about to go die for them and they can't stay up for five minutes to pray for Jesus. And then it says this, in Matthew 26, verse 44, it says, So he left them and went away once more. This is the third time. It says he prayed for the third time, saying the exact same thing. You see, God, uh, or Jesus, repeats his prayer over and over. He knows he's about to go into one of the worst possible, imaginable situations ever, Right? And he prays three times the exact same thing. He says, Father, if there's any other way, Father, if we can do this some other way, Father, please. And then ultimately, he gets the same response from God every time. This is the way we have to do it. And then I am so encouraged, and I am so in love with Jesus because of what happens next. It says this. It says that he gets up, 
And he walks to the cross for you and me. Uh, his specific words that he says after this prayer is he says, uh, rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. Of course, that betrayer was what would have been uh, in that time probably considered one of his best friends. And it says, rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. You see, in this prayer, we see Jesus do three things. One, he talks to the Father. And he says, Father, if there's any way other than this, let's do it that way. Two, I think he spends some time listening, right? He waits because he's saying, hey, is there any other way? And then God has to respond. So he listens. And the final part of his prayer is the response to what God the Father says. And God the Father says, you have to do it this way. And Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. And he walks to the cross for you and I. You see, sometimes the response God wants from us is going to be difficult. But in the same way, we have to say, not my will, but yours be done. You see, prayer is not easy, but it's worth it. And if we want to connect with God through prayer, we need to have a rhythm. We need structure to our prayer life. But most importantly, we need to take time to actually do it. So I want to go ahead and leave you guys with a couple uh, little things to hopefully give you a next step in your walk with Jesus. Uh, the first one is this. I want you to try this week to establish a rhythm of prayer. Whether that's in your car on your way to work, or first thing when you wake up, or when you're taking your kids to their sporting events, no matter what that is, find a regular rhythm of prayer. And I think that if you find that rhythm, it'll become easier and easier. Because the thing is, I didn't initially start off talking to my wife and be like, hey, I love you, right? Like, that would have been awkward. It took time to build that relationship. The same thing goes with Jesus. We need to build that rhythm. The second thing is this. I want to invite you guys back on October 14th for what will be called our Vision Sunday. And what that's going to be is Matt's going to get up here on that Sunday. We're going to have a time of worship, and then Matt is going to go ahead and tell us where he thinks River Ridge is heading for the next year, right? What is God going to do here at River Ridge? That Sunday is going to be focused on that. But then for the week after that, we're going to have a week of prayer where we're going to give you guys prompts and cues, and we're going to say, hey, take some time out of your day and pray for this. And I want you guys to commit to that. Because I think God is going to use River Ridge in our community for some amazing things, but we have to surround that in prayer. And finally, I want us to take a second here before we head out to pray together. And I know for some of you guys, you may still be like, I don't know what to say. It may be as simple as saying, God, thank you for today. Thank you for letting me have this day, right? Or it may be something a little more in depth. But what we're going to do here in a second, they're going to let the music play, and we're going to go ahead and take about a minute just to pray quietly, and then I'm going to close us out in prayer. So if this is your first time praying, just remember, God doesn't want scripted. God wants you, and he wants to connect with you. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for meeting us in prayer. And thank you that by the cross, you made a way that we could talk one-on-one -on -one with you. We know that you want this relationship with us, so God, pull us in to that. Show us how good you are and help us to want to connect with you through prayer. Help us this week as we're establishing this rhythm of prayer and help us to know that when we talk, you are listening and you are there for us. Help us to have a good week. Help us to leave here knowing that you love us 
and you care about us so, so much and bring us back here safely next week. In Jesus' name, amen.